Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Nat Chang Rinpoche. Chapter 9. Crashing into Joke Shops. Still no dreams of Kyung Chenaro Lingma or Aro Yeshe, or anything that would illuminate anything. I sat for some time in the sunny garden, pondering the vagaries of existence. I wondered exactly what I would say to Det about my time at Sami Ling, interspersed between interludes of silent sitting meditation, before concluding that it would be better to go to the library and read. There were many books there, and some were out of print, so I needed to absorb whatever I could from them. Jan came upon me later, sat alone reading, and stood for a while before interrupting me. I want to apologise for how I was earlier. Not at all, I interrupted. No, let me finish. I have something that I need to express. I'm afraid that I got a little carried away with my own sense of freedom. I'm so used to having to fight men just to be heard or to express an opinion that I always grab the bull by the horns and make sure they know exactly who I am right from the beginning. Then I feel I have to spar with them and put them in their place in order that they don't even think of trying to get the upper hand with me. So, anyway, I shouldn't think that just because I can say anything I like that that gives me the right to say whatever I like. Good of you to say so. It must have made you feel quite awkward. Yes, it did make me feel a little I can't say I wasn't a little awkward, but I'm glad it happened, in retrospect that is. I'm glad that I was able to respond with such poise and, dare I say it, dignity. Well, I don't know about that. I was just trying to make sure that it all remained light-hearted and... Exactly, and that's exactly what you did, Jan interrupted me with some gravity. And there's something else, too. I keep forgetting you're ordained and that I shouldn't treat you like everyone else. The problem is that you don't act in... I don't know how to say this, but I expect ordained people to be more aloof and distant, and so I forgot to be appropriate. Well, now, I certainly am glad that you did forget... I wouldn't have had it any other way. We both laughed and the whole episode dissolved into the texture of something almost unfathomable. You know, what I can't quite work out about you is that you seem mainly to be not quite an innocent abroad, but you seem almost shy and innocuous. And then you suddenly come out of nowhere with a kind of complete conviction and determination that's almost a shock because it's so unexpected. Like what you said about not wanting to prove yourself or challenge anyone but yourself. It's as if you shift between a slightly gauche 20-year-old to being an early middle-aged man of the world. I was silent for a moment not really knowing what I thought of what Jan had said. Thank you for what feels like a compliment. 
I've never really looked at myself in that way, but I understand what you're saying. I think what you're describing as middle-aged is just me when I have something real to say. I don't give my subjective opinions any weight and don't like arguing, so I mainly come across as innocuous, although I'd rather call it inoffensive. If I've got something real to say, I don't like to be offensive about it either, but I won't be talked down by anyone. Well, not counting Dudgeon Rinpoche, of course. So if it came to an argument, I'd simply welcome any gainsayer to their own point of view and retire from the discussion on the basis that I have no need to be right by making someone else wrong. That's what I mean, Jan laughed. You just whipped into your Mr Hyde mode. Not that I mean anything, Jan ran out of words. I understand, I laughed, and I think that the Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde analogy can be understood in a benign light. Thank you, Jan grinned and departed for the secretarial duties she had to perform. The days went by. They went by in a way in which everything merged. Daily swims occurred, but sans any attempts to make the Nakpa blush. Dot came and sought me out one afternoon after a swim. There was a knock on my door. Come in, I called, and Dot entered. Can I have a word? Absolutely, I replied. Dot sat down, looking quite serious, and said, I'd like to apologise for all that stuff with the knickers and bosoms and everything else. Jan's already talked with you about it, she told me, but we both felt bad about it afterwards. That's kind of you, but there really is no need to apologise. I said the same to Jan. Yes, she told me, but there is. I do feel I need to say something personally. We both felt that we should have remembered that you wear robes and all that and that it's not good to act in that way with an ordained person. I wouldn't have had you act in any other way. It was an experience I've never had before and it didn't exactly kill me, did it? No, but still, it's more likely to be my fault, I stated matter-of-factly, for being as I am. I mean, I'm just not very spiritual in the way that word is usually understood. It's not that I'm not serious about what I'm doing, but I don't like being stereotypical. I like to be normal. I used to be a bluesman, you see, and I still am, even though I'm not on stage. The bluesman is still there in me. He's not gone away or taken some vow never to boogie again. In fact, Dudgeon Rinpoche told me I must always sing and play blues. So, as far as I see it, you were just responding to me as I am. And that is perfectly fine with me. Dot nodded. And there's something else, too. It's not just that I forgot you were ordained. It was also a reaction I have to ordained people. I've met quite a few that I haven't liked because they were pretentious 
inconsiderate, high and mighty or condescending. So I tend to avoid ordained people because if I don't avoid them, I tend to take them on and with you I got caught off my guard. Not that that's your fault at all, but I found myself being able to have a normal, fun sort of conversation with you and so I got caught in wanting to see if you were really what you appeared to be. I've found the robed people I've met put on a show. They hide behind a facade of correct statements and never say anything real. So anyway, as I said, sorry for acting like that. That's kind, but apologies really aren't necessary, I smiled. I've met people like that in India and Nepal too, and not even ordained people. I generally avoided Western people when I was out there because of just what you're saying, so I understand entirely. By the way, I said, standing and going over to the window ledge, here is your nether garment, freshly laundered and aired, but, alas, not ironed. Dot laughed and took charge of her underwear. Now I feel embarrassed, she grinned. You know, I just caught myself in time when you gave my knickers back. Yes, I inquired. I almost told you that if you liked, you could keep them as a souvenir. We both laughed and Dot departed, laundered knickers in hand, to attend to her kitchen duties. There was the vegetable soup to prepare. I sat thinking about these apologies. They had seemed entirely unnecessary, but charming and kindly. I was touched by their heartwarming genuineness, but felt awkward about the deference. I didn't feel comfortable with deference. And then the Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde description. In one way, I recognised that I could appear like that, where both characters were kindly, but what did it mean about what I was or what I was becoming? I was definitely leading a split life in all areas, apart from the house in Hotwells, where I could be the Nakpa artist and fellow who played sitar. Penelope, Rebecca and Merrill didn't defer to me. We could discuss Vajrayana, painting, music, literature, poetry or anything within the field of the arts. Hotwells was the only place in the West where I felt I was not a covertly heterodox anomaly. There was nothing to hide or to play down. My Vajrayana practice was an occasional part of the domestic soundscape. Vajrayana emerged in conversation quite naturally from time to time, but that was not typical of the world I inhabited. I decided that part of my practice would have to be relaxing with the fact that I would always be an anomaly. I would never fit, and yet I could always fit, simply by being cordial with everyone. Todd and Veranda were not typical of the kind of human beings I met, and so they were simply a creative challenge. I was going to have to learn to be the creature I was 
in as many situations as life threw at me. That was one meaning of Vajrayana. Dujam Rinpoche's advice to live in the West as a Nakba was a colossal, amorphous challenge. Colossal is probably an overstatement, but 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, felt colossal. It was, of course, feasible in retreat in the Himalayas or in some quite rural location in Britain. But living as part of Western culture threw up an array of bizarre situations. Even coming to a Tibetan Buddhist centre in Scotland was replete with bizarre situations. Admittedly, nothing had occurred that caused me to break precepts or dancing, but certain situations simply felt anomalous. I could be a nakpa on the open road on my motorcycle and in the bathroom engaged in ablutions, conversing with the three ladies in hot wells and shopping in Broadmead. But what was I when dispiritedly debating with debt? Or here at Sammy Ling in whatever unlikely scenario unfolded next? What would Dujam Rinpoche make of these passing scenes? And how would I explain them all to him? Maybe he would not ask, but if he did, what would I say? I would mainly have to say that I fell in with situations and then experienced the outcome of that default pattern. At least I knew it was a default pattern. The problem was that the default always occurred when I felt as if I was merely being relaxed. The word chatral came to mind, along with the idea of chatral drebu tagba. Being a duty-free yogi was both path and result, but I was a long way from actualising that, even as path. Yes, I could float around the world participating in this and that without employing too many of my critical faculties, but that was not chatral. That much was clear to me, but the opposite was no better to forge ahead with preconceived conditions that had to be perfunctorily met in terms of precisely how each situation had to be. What use was that in terms of any kind of approach or pretension to Zogchen? There was no use in drifting with the tides of circumstances or in attempting to steer where there was no evident road. Whilst at Bristol Art School, of course, there was a road, and that made life simple. Outside that context, however, anything could happen. To come to an understanding of my culture and my epoch, I had to be open to anything happening. If I sheltered myself from the wilder side of existence, I would never be able to teach anyone how to live as a tantrika in the West, when eventually the time came to teach. Chukyam Trumpa Rinpoche had plunged into the Western cultural milieu and emerged with a mode of expression which was unsurpassed. 
Jogyam Trumper Rinpoche had crashed his car into a joke shop during his engagement with Western culture. So maybe I wasn't proceeding as badly as I thought. Maybe I was crashing into joke shops in my own way. Chugyam Trumpa Rinpoche took the joke shop crash as a symbol emanated by Mamo Ekajati. But what could I say? I saw no symbolism in my life that would equate with that, other than appearances of Arrow Lingma. She had appeared after my failed assignation with Papa Legba at the Runfold Badshot Lee Crossroads, but not at Sammy Ling. She had appeared once in Germany when I fell asleep on my motorcycle at 70 miles an hour, but the appearance was so brief that I was left uncertain as to whether she was simply the lights of a fast car on the other side of the carriageway. If it had been her, she saved my life, but I could never be entirely sure. I was wary of attributing meaning where there might be no meaning. Would Dujam Rinpoche see my life in the West as analogous to Chugyam Trumpa Rinpoche's joke shop crash? Or would he be disappointed that I lacked common sense? The joke shop crash had left Chugyam Trumpa Rinpoche partially crippled, and I wondered, was that the price one had to pay? I had not been crippled by any of my joke shop crashes, or at least it didn't seem so. I had no way of knowing, however, what damage I might have sustained in terms of subtle obstacles to practice. I would only know that when I next had the chance to speak with Kyabje Dujam Rebshe. With that thought, I opened my satchel and pulled out my book, of the teachings I'd received from Dujam Rinpoche. The qualifications of disciples with respect to whether they can authentically follow a Lama. Disciples need impartiality and intelligence. They must be straightforward. They must abandon any tendency to decisive partiality, such as being friendly to those in their own Sangha and unfriendly to those in other sanghas. Well, I was impartial and relatively straightforward, but my intelligence was not exactly pronounced. Derek Crow told me that he expected me to obtain a first in my illustration degree, but that was down to hard work rather than intelligence. It might be intelligent for Chugyam Trumper Rinpoche to crash into a joke shop, but I could not say the same about my multiple fiascos. They were merely dim-wittedness. Disciples need to be able to distinguish between Vajrayana and Tibetan culture without rejecting what is cultural when that culture is supportive of Vajrayana. I had a deep love of Tibetan culture, but I was confident that I was clear about what was Vajrayana and what was Tibetan culture. I was also confident that I appreciated the aspects of Tibetan culture that were supportive to Vajrayana. I'd applied myself with diligence to making text covers, drum tales and so forth. 
I did not consider these things unimportant or unnecessary. Some people I'd met took the view in which externals had no value. This seemed to be a form of ultimatism that I decided was bogus. To deify objects was an error, but not to appreciate their value was also an error. It was spiritual materialism to collect spiritual appurtenances, as if owning them was concomitant with meditative experience. To reject spiritual appurtenances, however, was to sever one's relationship with phenomena. Materialism concerned territory. Disciples need to be powerfully inspired by the tradition and feel respect, method, and trust, wisdom, for lamas who teach the tradition they seek to follow. I felt assured that this was the case in terms of where I found myself to be. These are the fundamental qualifications that are necessary. When practice leads to the development of meditative experience, however, there will be further qualifications that will be naturally arising. With experience of Rangjung Rigpa, strong confidence and natural diligence will arise. From this, greater intelligence will arise that is free of referentiality. That all sounded plausible in my case, apart from the greater intelligence free of referentiality. I could not say that this was the case. To all intents and purposes, I still felt like the kind of dolt who crashed into the joke shops of life without any transformative result. Disciples have great respect and practice the secret mantras. Their minds free of discursive thoughts, they are undistracted. Great respect, yes, but my mind was not free of discursive thoughts and I was frequently distracted. Disciples keep Dantzig, are diligent in the practice and act concordantly with the Lama's speech. In that, I passed muster on all counts, apart from diligence. It's not that I wasn't diligent, but that I was aware that my use of time was possibly open to question. Good disciples have vivid certainty and conviction great joy and keen interest with regard to the Lama and instructions. They have an eager yearning for the result of practice. They have confident, consummate trust that entertains no doubts and is unaffected by petty circumstances. They are thus completely ready to receive transmission. Disciples are firmly committed in their determination to realise non-duality. They are constant in their practice and never postpone it. What I lacked in this itemization of qualities was eager yearning for the result of practice. Somehow the only eagerness I possessed was the eagerness not to disappoint Dujam Rinpoche. 
most people seem to want enlightenment in the next hour or the next day, week, month or year. I didn't quite understand how one could want what one could only understand intellectually. Certainly, I'd rather be free of pain under all circumstances. Certainly, I'd rather be happy under all circumstances. And in general, I was about as happy as I needed to be. I did want to be a good practitioner. But whatever accomplishment there might be, I only really wanted it in order that Dujum Rinpoche would feel that his time had not been wasted. I was, however, constant in my practice and almost never postponed it. As they have the intelligence and clarity to investigate the profound meaning of reality, experiences and realisation come to them easily. They have little attachment and clinging to mundane happiness or possessions such as food and clothes. Intelligence again. I had a low IQ so I fell at that hurdle. I had a high level of interest in investigating reality but experiences and realisation did not come to me easily. Nothing came to me easily. Learning to play guitar, even to a modest standard, had not come to me easily. I had not reached the lowest professional standard. On blues harp I was reasonable, but I'd never be a little Walter. I had to work hard at everything, and anything I learned took me at least twice as long as anyone else. As to having little attachment to mundane happiness or possessions such as food and clothes, I was not sure where I was on that scale. I liked happiness well enough, but I was generally content with whatever life threw my way. I enjoyed my food and I enjoyed my clothes, but it didn't feel excessive. I'd have to talk about that with Dujum Rinpoche because I had no idea whether I was taking an extreme point of view in respect of little attachment. Since they have great respect for the Lama and the Yidam, they are open doors through which transmission enters. They have cleared all doubt and hesitation regarding the path of the secret mantras and are therefore able to engage in profound practices. Since their minds are not prey to mundane conceptualization in terms of obsession, aggression or indifference, they are not distracted. Great respect for Kyabje Dujam Rinpoche and the Dujam Ter Yidams was unquestionable. I had no doubt or hesitation, but my mind, that was prey to fascinations and whimsies. Probably not aggression or indifference, but a healthy dose of obsession. The standard terminology for obsession, aggression and indifference were lust, hatred and ignorance. But these terms never sounded quite right to me. 
they were somehow redolent of the seven deadly sins. I could also use the terms attraction, aversion and indifference. But ignorance seemed out of place in the list. Ignorance was simply lack of information and being laden with information was not actually guaranteed to make a person kinder or more open-minded. Being highly knowledgeable could often make people less charitable and benevolent, more intolerant and prejudiced. I'd witnessed that in those who fancied themselves as scholars. For me, the word ignorance only worked if recast as ignorance. One could not necessarily be blamed for one's lack of education, but one could be culpable of indifference to learning or indifference to reality. To be indifferent is to shut down and close up or close off to the world. And that was entirely anathema to me. So my main problem was the spectrum of attraction, lust, passion and obsession. I was like a moth to the flame. Disciples keep their promises and do not contravene the root and branch dancing that they have taken. They do not tire of practising the profound path and never go against the Lama's instructions. It is disciples with just such qualifications as these that one should accept to teach. Their opposites are bad disciples. To the best of my ability, I felt, I could feel at ease with that. I kept my promises to Dujum Rinpoche. I maintained Dantzig. I always followed his instructions, but only as far as I was able with my level of capacity. That was always the problem. Of course, at school in the mathematics class, I'd always say, I tried my best. And the response would be, your best is not good enough, Simerson. Of course, the mathematics teacher was not unreasonable because my best was based on a severe lack of interest in mathematics. What I called my best was merely the best I was prepared to offer to mathematics. With regard to Kyabje Dujum Rimshe, however, I really was trying my hardest. It occurred to me that as a tulku, I should have greater capacity than I had. It did not occur to me to doubt my recognition as the incarnation of Aro Yeshe, because I had no doubts concerning Dujam Rinpoche. His pronouncements were not open to question. It was merely me. Maybe I was merely the result of Aro Yeshe having died in an avalanche. Maybe that was why I was so limited in my capacity and so easily seduced by the shine on the passing moment. I was also far too easily seduced by ladies. All ladies had to do was smile at me. I had no sense of appropriateness. My answer was always yes, unless I was already in a relationship. 
And so here I was again with a relationship I should either have avoided or left. There was nothing so terribly wrong with Claudette Gascoigne. She was simply not suited to someone whose life looked like mine. She would never be interested in Vadriana, and I should have made a polite exit when I discovered that. Of course, Claudette was also deluding herself. I was not her ideal by a long stretch. The man to have suited her would have been a modern-day George Bernard Shaw, William Walton or a heterosexual Oscar Wilde, Noel Coward or anyone radically witty, intellectual and massively culturally well-informed. I was not that person. I was not that person. But was I that disciple? I certainly wanted to be. And I certainly was to the extent that Dudjam Rinpoche had accepted me as such. I decided at this point that I'd contemplated Dudjam Rinpoche's teaching thoroughly. I let out a deep sigh of some nameless mixture of feelings. I concluded that although I was not a good disciple, I was not the opposite of all the qualities enumerated. Therefore, I might not be such a bad disciple, despite my propensity to crash into joke shops.